Welcome to Canary in a Coal Mine. I wrote an article last week for the Post-Millennial about Andre Taylor, the former pimp who was hired by the city of Seattle to become their new street czar. And I stand by everything I wrote in that article. But at the same time, sometimes when you meet the subject of an article, your opinion can change a little. And a friend of mine named Regina Freeland, who works for the American Jewish Committee, the AJC, called me and said, Hey Ari, I've been talking to Andre since July. I have a relationship with him. Would you like the opportunity to sit down and interview him? And of course, I jumped at the chance. My story went national. It went international. People were talking about it. People were twisting it. And people were making it about something it's not. I think that the city of Seattle did themselves no favors by announcing this the same week they announced the defunding of the Seattle Police Department, the same week that the council overrode the veto of the mayor in defunding the Seattle Police Department because, of course, every single post, and I did a few of these too, was, oh, there's another riot in Seattle, quick, somebody call the street czar, or the former pimp who's now a street czar. When you meet Andre, it's a very different experience. He's very open about his past. He talks about it openly. And I was really in this interview wearing two hats. One was talking about what happened and reporting on it and writing for the post-millennial and covering it for my podcast. But the second one was for the Jewish community. Regina is all about building bridges between the Jewish community and other communities. And this was an opportunity to build one between the Jewish community and the African-American community, which haven't always had the best relationship. So of course I jumped at the chance. This is actually part two of the interview. Part one goes into his background and that'll air tomorrow and we'll put that out tomorrow. But in part two, we got into a lot of the stuff that you have questions about that you want answers to, Black Lives Matter and his feelings on that and a little bit of his past, more of his past will be in part two, uh, which will air tomorrow. But I thought this would give you a taste of what the beginning of the interview was like. So I encourage you to watch this and think about how you judge things before you get to know them, really. Judge people before you get to know them. It's the Jewish time of year where we are about to celebrate Yom Kippur, the Jewish Day of Atonement, when we look back on how we spent our year. And I think this could be, excuse me, an educational watch for everybody. So give it a watch. And part two, which is really part one, will be airing tomorrow. (laughs) We have Regina Freeland from the American Jewish Committee who has been working to set this up, but also is one of the first people to reach out to Andre from the Jewish community to try and build this bridge. And Regina had a few questions for Andre. Let me just say, Regina has been you know, a, a real friend of mine, and we've been able to really talk and have real in-depth conversations. I appreciate her support, you know, and um, you know, she's been a champion, you know, for change. Uh, and and uh, I just, it's good to have a good friend from the Jewish community. I, I have a good friend. Uh, named Nathaniel Tarlow. Uh, uh, he lives in um, um, uh, uh, Houston. His father is uh, one of the, uh, uh, he is a professor at Texas A&M. And uh, we've had some of the greatest conversations before. And one, thing, one time he said to me, he read, my, he, he read my book, The Road to Paradise, and he said something to me. He says, um, you know, Andre, you think like a Jew. <laughs> and I said, um, Mr. Tarlow, I am a Jew. I just call it Hebrew. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just saying, uh, Regina, thank you for your support and your fight for me. 
you know, I appreciate you 100%. Thank you. I, I, um, I wanted people to see what I've been seeing. Your intellectual and I don't know what to call it, emotional honesty. You've been, we've had very uh, frank conversations. I've told you, you know, I think that, and I, I mentioned this to Ari, I think you're one of the first people I can um, speak with completely unfiltered. And I'm gonna ask a follow-up to one of the last segments that you and Ari were talking about, if you can just expand on it. I, I already know the answer, but I'd like it to be said. Sure. I just see it. You, it radiates from you when you were talking about victimization and everything else and who's this. I think one of the things that's very pronounced about you, you do not consider yourself a victim. You build, you grow, you endure. And I think that very often, we've talked about this, even if individuals in the black community, in the Jewish community, in the, in the broader community, human community, when it's implied and you're told for whatever reason that you're a victim, there's almost like this self-fulfilling prophecy that you exactly. have to live up to that. Mm -hmm. And I, I hope, you really emphasized it well here, but you, your words are very powerful and coming from you, I think it's extra empowering, whether it's someone in the black community or in the general population, um, when you want to, you take the label, whether it's someone else has placed it on you, of victimization, and you're a victim, you might carry that out, and I think you are trying to speak the opposite, and I think it will go very far to keep pronouncing that. Mm. Don't, you know, let yourself out of that. No one gets to tag you as your victim. You're the dominant force, you're the victim. Yeah. And I think I think expanding on that point that you and Ari were just discussing, I think that that especially in this city, yeah. I know that you're um, you're not exactly loved by some in the community because you're not you are not carrying out the popular narrative. You're not a victim. You're not against abolishing the police department here and all of those other things that might go against it. You're trying to build for positive change. Take these funds. Let's go forward and do something else. Own it. Don't sit and just be someone's victim. Go make your own opportunity. Take it and run. That's the way we were raised in the Jewish community. Yeah. It's always like, we remember what happened to us. And every single day we have to remember what happened in Egypt and everywhere else. It's part of our culture. It's part of our upbringing. But it's always like, because this happened, we go out and do X. Yeah. Not yes, but individuals, but right. individuals still have their own. Individuals I got their own that problems. Right we know that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A cultural yeah. thing that there's a cultural expectation, but as we know, as what we all have in common, just as humans, people are people. That's something that anyone, any part of human nature, you're prone to that. Mm -hmm. Either being the victim or being the dominant one. No matter, mm -hmm. you can be the whitest. I'm putting that in quotes since I'm not on camera to anything. You can still feel that way. Getting out of the mindset of victimhood is is it's a it's a really critical step. So I have a father. My father, rest in peace, died uh, about 14 years ago, uh, and uh, he came out of the lifestyle, but he changed his life and wrote the all-American novel called *The Midman*. Got four out of five stars in the New York Times. A popular director. What's it called again? *The Midman*. Popular director Tony Beale really went and helped my dad get out of prison. My dad went and worked for Paramount Studios for a while and was teaching acting and, uh, you know, uh, that's how I knew that I could change my life. 
But how I was raised is my father once said to me, he said, son, uh, do you know what I expect out of you? I said, well, what is that, Dad? He says, you know, um, as an African-American man with all the disadvantages in this country, this race that you are running, I expect for you to finish the race. I was like, <laughs> I could do that. No problem. He says, wait a minute. I expect for you to finish first. Oh, pressure, wait a minute. Pressure. That's the brilliance of my beautiful father because he knew in order for me to accomplish that, I would have to pull the genius from out of side of me. Not just finish the race. My expectations for you to finish first. So I've never thought about victimhood. I thought about being a conqueror and what that means to me as a conqueror. You know, it doesn't mean to me the same as it might mean to the dominant society. It means that whatever life has thrown at me, no matter how deep you were in the mud and the muck and the sin, you know, that where grace abounds, where, where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. And I just happen to really believe that. I mean, I just really, really believe that. And I think God said, if you're willing to believe me, if you're willing to believe that, I'm going to show you through manifestation that I believe and I mean what I said to you when I said it. Right? So let me just say, uh, what I admire about the Jewish community is that, um, just one of the things, many things that I admire, just talking to Dr. Tarlow. Uh, you know, uh, I've talked to the black church before, oh, and they don't like when I say it, but I have to say the truth. I said, listen, the majority of the time that is spent in our churches is about encouraging and making people believe that God is with them. I said, and that's problematic. And somebody said, how could that be problematic? What are you saying? I said, but if you look at Jewish culture, they are raised within a concept of, we're not believing that God is with us. <laughs> it is a given. God is with us. And so with the knowledge that God is with us, they're able to go out and infiltrate every area of life. Why wouldn't they? They're not wrestling with the fact of, is God with me? Is he really with me? Right? Because if you wrestle with that, you can't go to the power. The power is in the knowing, so that you may know. Everything is that you may know. But if you're guessing or continuing over 10 years still being encouraged for somebody to make you believe there has to be an accountability and there has to be a maturity. At some point, you're going to have to know. And when you know, you can take the power of your knowing and you can go make miracles happen. I respect that about Jewish culture because, boy, you guys... Let me just say, you have got the goddamn thing going on. Thank you. For real. And that's because there's a culture attitude of knowing. There's a disposition that the Jewish man and woman walks around with. A confidence of knowing. And you can see it filtrated throughout their culture as it is an expectation because God is with us to submit everything underneath us. 
Oh, and if black people could get that. <laughs> you know who said something similar? You know who said something similar? There was a, what's the guy's name that Randy brings out from the Afri from the uh, Native American community? He's a representative for them, and he's trying to get Ryan. them. Ryan Dunn? Right. This guy, he's great. You would, if he's in town, you should get him as a speaker. But he talks about how he loves the Jewish community because they went and got Israel. They wanted that. So this is our country. We want our country. How do we get our country? He goes, we need to use our native language. We need to do this. And Belarus, he actually... Ryan Belarus. Belarus. That's right. Ryan Belarus. And he actually put something in my head that I never thought about before. When we see the Temple Mount in Israel and the dome sitting on top of it, it hurts us. Yeah, of course. That's where a temple mm -hmm. is, right? Mm -hmm. He said that's the way they look at Mount Rushmore. Oh, uh, that that's has deep. never clicked for hey, me that's before. Deep. Right, and mind you, I'm like the most patriotic American you'll yeah. meet in a long yeah. time, you know. And uh, that never clicked that's for deep. me until he said that. And that that kind of you know kind of rips your guts out a little bit when you look at things. Yeah. yeah, I've always wanted to go there. You're right, right, <laughs> right, 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 right. So as long as yeah. uh, Ari's still rolling here, I'm gonna I'm going to uh, take up the controversy since you already said it and. We're, we're used to very free exchanges. Sure. It's being recorded, though, but I want to hear, I'd like to hear here, because I think it's important for those that might have looked at you very critically, um, prejudged you or anything else. Uh, you made a distinction. Ari didn't bring it up. You made a distinction between you said something to the effect, I'm paraphrasing, I don't remember exactly, but it was approximately, I believe in black lives. And then you said, I don't believe in the Black Lives Matter movement. Yeah. I want, it would be helpful. I might already have this understanding from you. I think it, it would be a very helpful point to those that are listening to Ari's podcast. What do you mean? Because I think that a lot of very well-meaning people, you can say that. You're a black man. You're in it. If someone else said it, if Ari said it, if I, I just wouldn't say it because I'm not going there publicly, but I'm asking you publicly. Sure. I, I want to know what you mean. And I think that very well-meaning people have a lot of confusion. And if they're not supporting the movement, it might deem them to be racist. They don't mm -hmm. know where to go with that, even though there's some conflicting thing. Can you, are you comfortable? Oh, absolutely. Here? Absolutely. Be Let me explain, because remember, my, my theme is clarity. I'm, you want to make sure people have clarity, right? I know that. I want other so, 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 they just uh, uh, um, took off of their website something that the African-American community all over the country, see, uh, the African-American community here is 3.5%, right? But I'm talking about places where they have a large population of African-Americans have realized that. In Black Lives Matter organization, their manifesto have said that they have come to quote, um, how, how, how did they say it? The nuclear uh, family thing? Yes. Yeah. And they just took that off of there. They, they, pulled, they, they pulled that and all the anti-Semitic stuff. Yes, yeah. you see? So they're, they, they have come to um, they use a different word to stop the Western nuclear family. It was something to the effect of um, 
we don't believe in the nuclear family model. We believe in it takes a village to raise a child, yeah. and it was about the community raising the child as opposed to the nuclear family exactly. model. Exactly. Well, yeah. the reason why that's problematic for the African-American community is based upon the 1994 sentencing laws that Clinton and Biden brought forth, it decimated our families and our communities. In, in the 60s, 20 per, 20, and this was high back then, 23% of black households uh, had single mothers. Today, it's 76%. And the sentencing laws have a lot to do with that. It was purpose to do exactly what manifested. But when, you, when you're talking about that you're coming to dismantle uh, the Western nuclear family, how much more dismantling can black folks take? And replacing the black man out of the family, there is no culture in the world that replaces their men from their families all over this world. But you talking about, you come to, to decimate that? We can't afford not one more bit of decimation Right? So I can't support that. I'm not a Marxist. I can't support that either. Right? Even though we had issues in America, I believe in the greatness of the American spirit. I believe in American exceptionalism as well. Right? So those are reasons, and I know they've gotten a lot of flack, in particularly from our community, which is why they removed it. And people have realized that, and they're jumping on them saying, well, why did you remove it? Because even though you removed it, we know what your intents are now. So Black Lives Matter as an organization is something that is very disagreeable. And I know Patrice Colors. I have gone down there and spoken to her several years ago. We brought her up here to help fight for Charlena Lyles. So I don't consider her an enemy, nor the women that established Black Lives Matter. but. If they have that focus and they just want to elevate trans and they're not giving any credence to the black man in the family, I am totally opposed to that. Absolutely. Sounds like we're on the same page about that. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like we're on the same page about that. Yeah. Do you think that's a lot of the reason? I, I know there are other things, but do you think that's one of the foremost reasons that? whether it's some of the leaders of the of the local movement that were a part of it. and I'm not going to say Black Lives Matter here because I don't know if they were affiliated mm -hmm. with the local group or not. I know that I saw some, there were conflicts that appeared for some that were, there are many that said they were representing Black Lives Matter. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I know that there were conflicts with some of the leaders of the Chaz Chop Zone. Do you think your opinions on that specific thing are known there, or their opposition to you between both them and the more far-left anarchist crowd mm -hmm. are also because you um, your positions that there has to be some form that law enforcement in a society is a necessary piece? Like, what do you what do you think are the biggest reasons that they really are? Well, I'm not an abolitionist. I do not believe yeah. that to shut all the jails down and close all the prisons and eliminate all law enforcement. I'm not an abolitionist. I know some people, as I've said in other videos, that I've known on the street that are psychopaths that are in prison and their ass need to be there. Do you understand? <laughs> yeah. 
So I'm not with this idea of closing all the prisons and we're letting murderers, you know. Uh, of course, when I was in the street life, people consider uh, what they call now human trafficking, which was not what I was doing. But anyway, that's a different story. But um, they somehow have escalated that vice even greater than murder, right? And we know Paul was a murderer, killed, killed churches. So, so uh, you know, uh, uh, we need some prisons. Now, I agree that black and brown people have been farly treated wrong and sentencing laws and the like. That has not been right. But I would hate to be in a country, any country, that didn't have some form of law enforcement. So I don't want to abolish them, but we need to reform them. It needs to be reformed. But abolish? Absolutely not. Who are we going to give the streets to? I know some of them cats. Well, you know. And we'll be held hostage. Trust me what I'm telling you. Just look outside. Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, what happens? There's a vacuum and then a warlord comes in. It's never going to be an empty Listen, it, it will be ugly. That. And and it's foolish to even think that that's going to happen. Again, America is an empire. It's laughable. America's going to do what America wants to do, and it will be established until whatever other empire rises later on down the line or what happened. Empires rise, empires fall. The Romans had it for 2,000 years. The Kemetan Empire, they say 20,000. Uh, Persian Empire. All. So empires will do what empires want to do. Right, so for anyone to think somehow they are any match for the might of the of the American military, it is laughable. It is, come on, you're gonna stop. What are you gonna do? <laughs> it's, it's it's laughable. It's unproductive energy. Why would you put all your energy in something you don't have a military to stop anything that America wants to do, right? So it's just laughable. We're going to stop and, 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 and get rid of all police. Yeah. Well, what's going here on here in far left Seattle and far left Portland could never happen in certain places around this country. It just could never happen. It never. <laughs> okay, I have one more question. Okay, no problem. But I'm only asking it here because I think that I, I've heard it come up a lot and I think it might be helpful to get your perspective. The, um, it, it's a similar theme, but in, whether it's in the Seattle public schools or now it's even gone into the Bellevue public schools, I heard it's coming up, or just in sprawling areas. What do you think about implementing these kind of attitudes? As part of, a, part of the curriculum, basically, um, whether Seattle schools dis, you know, ended their relationship with the SPD or just bringing stuff in. I have, I'm a parent in the Seattle Public Schools right now. Mm -hmm. I wasn't in the past and it's all pretty new to me. So I don't have the perspective of what came before, but I do see materials now that is so hyper-focused on differences with people that to me, and uh, we all, Ari lives there now, we all, we all are from South Seattle, okay? Um, that's not a part of the city where we'll say, quote, Seattle's so white. We all live together. We see. We grocery shop. We, we are, maybe we're the rare spot, but we, we know that, right? Mm -hmm. It's a pretty diverse, it's a, it's a diverse group there. 
Um, concerns, is it concerning to you that there's a hyper focus on all the differences? I, you know, growing up at the same time as you, I didn't really blink at being mixed couples. I don't blink at it now, but I feel that there's a lot of emphasis to how different you're, we're so different instead of these are the threads that, that bind us. Yeah. We are different, but. Uh, fortunately, I have grown kids, so this narrative that you're giving me is, I'm really, it's foreign to me. You'll see it in the media, though. They right. It's out there. Right. So uh, I know I look extremely young. Uh, <laughs> that's vegan eating. <laughs> <laughs> now we really can't be friends. You'll see it. So at any rate, uh, this is a foreign concept to me, but I understand. Uh, I'm not shocked by far left-leaning Seattle that it would infiltrate schools and everything else to, it would go into every area of life, you know. Uh, I'm hoping that balance could be brought back, yeah. you know. Scripture says an unjust balance is an abomination to the Lord. I'm hoping that a certain level of balance is brought back, and I'm willing to fight for it, you know. I'm willing to fight for it. I'm willing to be judged for it. I'm ready to be criticized for it. But, you know, I'm willing to stand on principle for it as well. That's why we're working together. Exactly. I mean, that's why. Yeah. That's why. That's yeah. why we're together. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, and, if, and if I could, at the end of the day, I'm just going to tell you the, the, the real honest truth. I'm not here for everybody. Uh, I feel like. Um, that's a good point. Yeah. You can't make everyone happy. Well, no, no. I'm, I'm not even interested in doing that. I, I There's a particular demographic of young African-American males that are, that need somebody to say, listen, um, I understand exactly where you were. I understand so well that I was way deeper than it was you. I had far more success than you will ever achieve in this life. Well, you mentioned that I think the ages you threw out before when we, we've spoken at an earlier time was what happens to people that are between, I think you said 16 and 32, are we throwaways? Yeah, are they throwaways, exactly. So it's like, you know, all the investment is into, you know, well, you know, preventative care. And I said, well, that's cute. But what about these 18 to 24 year old, they're just throwaway. Nobody cares about them because everybody's uh, fearful of them. Well, give them to me. Give them to me. Let me, let me, I'm not afraid of them. Model for you. Yeah. <clears throat> I think we have the same similar problem in the Jewish community, but for different reasons and different problems. Mm -hmm. but the overall problem was, great, we keep the kids in the fold through high school. And then they go off to college, and then they go off to wherever, and they disappear. So they came up with the birthright program. And what the birthright program was, it was free trips to Israel oh, really? to get them in touch with their heritage. So if you are 18 to 20, whatever it is these days, 26, they take you to Israel for free. You have to give them like a two hundred dollars. Right. I'm gonna yeah. copy that. We're yeah. gonna take people to Africa for even free. Whatever it is. Jewish. Right. Even if you're a quarter. Yeah. It doesn't matter, but you can go to Israel for free. And with some tweets, And this is national? National? This is international. international. Really? International. This is yeah. huge. So what they said was I see that's what right. I'm saying. You guys don't tell us nothing. <laughs> 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 I would have never known. Right, so they do that, and they expected success right away, and actually first it became a trip where kids were just doing the things that kids do on these trips, right. and then with a few tweaks here and there, it became something that's really having an impact. Hmm. And kids are staying, and they're going to yeshiva, they're going to seminary, they're marrying Jewish kids. All the good stuff that wow. came out of it with a few tweaks took some time. Yeah. This didn't happen overnight. It builds a cultural and historical yeah. identity. But now it's like, right, when you're this age, this is what you do. So instead of doing things they did before, this is part of it. 
This has now become part of the culture. Try some beautiful stuff. Buddy. So it might be something that you look for what that is mm -hmm. for your community. Yeah. And you try to do I it. know what that is. Mm -hmm. well, I mean, Andre mentioned earlier, and I think I told you this already when I was just talking to you before we came wow, you know, in, in advance, but you mentioned like just people that are really well intended and you put all your emphasis into Head Start or programs that you think are terrific, but then what? Is that that was kind of what you were saying. Well because because what what you have to understand is that what comes that eighteen to twenty four group is influencing those kids that you're say that you know or you're trying to prevent but if you don't get these 18 to 24 that these young kids are growing up around idolizing then it will be the same continuum so you would rather you would not rather maybe both but a yeah. program like to launch into those transformative years where you're empowering them to move on to some kind of location this is how you know so let me share something with you guys i haven't even shared this with anybody you guys are the first one and this is something that I spoke to the mayor way before our new contract, right? That um, I wanted to get some funding so that I can take 100 gang members from each of these gangs, so 100, then 100, so 200 all together, uh, to Puerto Rico, and then have the elders that have come to a uh, conversation with the street, one of those elders are uh, uh, <coughs> Judge Joe Brown, or, or just some elders in, in the community, and then get them out of their environment into a lovely place like that and then have this mentoring educational process that goes forth, right? And now when you give people uh, a vision outside of their communities, you're able to impact change in a whole different kind of way because they've seen something now, they've visualized something, right? And I told her, I wish you could support something like that, because you have to do something unconventional for these kids that I'm talking about, mm -hmm. that, that are dealing in murder and all kind of things. Right. Serious kids. They got to be out of the environment. They have to be out of the environment. Yeah. Let me take them. Puerto Rico is a part of the US. They don't need passports. I've been there, one of my favorite places. Let me take them there and do a series with each one of these groups for at least a week with elders. And you can tell them that this is how it works, and if they want to talk to me about it, uh, those at-risk kids I mentioned at the beginning that I worked with in the Bronx, you know, they've got a Jewish mom and a black father, whatever it is, they're in the world you're talking about. Mm -hmm. The kids that didn't do these kind of things, they're not with us anymore. Yeah, absolutely. And that's unfortunate. Yeah, you know, I mean, beyond unfortunate. Mm -hmm. The kids who did do this, it really, it's a whole different thing. And there's proof behind it. There's, there's quantitative, qualitative proof behind this. Exactly. You can back this up for fundraising. Yes, yes. But that's real stuff. That's a Well, it's real stuff, but then remember, impact. here's where the street czar comes in. Those kids ain't going to trust anybody. You can't even get those kids together. I've been able to, listen, when Chief, this broke my heart. This is, this is, and then I'm going to let you guys go because I know you, you guys are busy. But anyway, this is something that broke my heart that I brought to the mayor which made her willing to do conversations with the streets with us. Because I told her the story of Chief O'Toole. There was a summer, it could have been 2017, 18, and during the summer, violence has escalated in, in our communities. There's a lot of killings. So me and a couple other guys from the community got wind of it, 
and we brought these gangs, want to bring these gangs down the Rainier Beach area. Uh, one of the gangs showed up, about 21 of them. They had guns and everything on them. We wanted to talk to them. And so I said, listen, would you guys give me an opportunity to go talk to uh, the chief of police to see if we can get some type of funding and some type of uh, jobs, something for you guys? Will you give me that opportunity before you guys go out there? And they said, yes, we will. I called Chief O'Toole. I said, listen, we have a wonderful opportunity here. These gang members are willing to meet with you and whatever staff you want to bring. But we have to find some funding. We have to be able to offer something to this group. She says she was excited. Listen, I'll get back with you. I'll get my, my crew together and everything. She never called me back. In one week's time, one of the main guys was killed. I'm going to cuss right here. You can bleep it out. Broke my fucking heart. Broke my fucking heart, Ari. And so when I had the first meeting with Jenny, I told her, I don't trust you because I tried to trust the system before. I brought her something that was credible. And she didn't even call me back. You don't care about black lives. They're commodities to you to put in prison. And I said, if you help me, let me create conversation with the streets. She said, I won't let that happen again. What do you need? That's how we got conversation with the streets. True story, Ari. That's how we started our relationship with the city. I've never told this before. Fucking broke my heart, man. These fucking gang members, man, was willing to come and have a conversation with law enforcement, man. And this woman never even called me back. So, you built the, I mean, that's the bridge building. That's what we, we talk about for, we've had so many conversations about that, but it's the real human thing. And you set an opportunity. You also talk about opening doors, right? That's why I canceled my day today. You know, come here. So I canceled my day. And that's why I respect Jenny. Mm -hmm. She could do a zillion wrong, but I'll never forget that she took that story serious to me. And she said, I'll do what's needed. What do you need? And they funded it already. Mm -hmm. That's a powerful story. You just <sighs> wonder where all the millions that have been brought in are going now. That's, that's what everybody worries about. Thank you for sharing that with us. Yeah. Just took me somewhere over there, man. Just, yeah. So uh, I believe that she cares, you know. Um, I believe that, you know, as we're moving forward, uh, we're making mistakes and we're making all mistakes together. But if somebody shows me an effort, like I'm showing other people effort and they give me the benefit of the doubt because of my effort, right, I must give others that same benefit. And I consider her a friend of mine. It doesn't matter what anybody says. I went on a Hannity show and Hannity was talking crazy about her. I changed the subject. 
If you guys seen the show, I changed the subject. Mm -hmm. I would not go there with Hannity. I think the most powerful interview I saw with you was the one with Hannity where you were there with Horace Anderson. That was the most beautiful interview, a human moment. It wasn't about really politics. It was a human moment, man. It was powerful. Actually, wow. while I got you on this, and this, we don't have to air this part or whatever yeah. you don't want you to do. You do it. I was free yeah. here. No. What was he doing there? I spoke, to, I spoke to Horace's attorney, and he told me about the kid having special needs and all the other stuff. What was the kid doing in the show? They were playing basketball. That's what happened? Yeah. Because, like, this is the best kept secret. They Nobody were playing basketball. And then what happened? Was that just the psychos, the crazies, the gang violence? The, gang, what I was think it? it's just yeah. gang violence. They were playing basketball, and maybe somebody said something or whatever. Horace yeah. says that his son is mentally delayed. That's so what they he told follows him. people, and, you know, he's influenced either. Sure. But for this guy to shoot yeah, this kid, stand over him, and shoot him some more. This kid's a psychopath. Yeah. No one, no one was helping Horace. No. He called me. I gave him the platform. Hannity's show called me. I told Horace, come, let's get your son some visibility. That was one of the best moments I've seen in any news station. It was incredible. Yeah. It really was. And I was so appreciative because Hanny understood the depth. He didn't even take a commercial break. No. And you could tell he didn't know what to say. It was it hit him that hard. And I don't think I've ever seen Sean Hannity without something to I've say. I've never yeah. seen him. <laughs> yeah. You know? And he was genuine. Yep. I hope you enjoy part one of the interview. Part two will be airing tomorrow. We'll see you next time on Canary in a Coal Mine.